Um, it's Palm Sunday. I don't actually know what the proper Palm Sunday greeting is, but happy Palm Sunday. And uh, I want to read the gospel reading today from John's gospel to you, but I think just to sort of sort of set us into place and perhaps just uh, think about things a little bit differently, maybe perhaps pay attention slightly differently. If you're able, I'd love to invite you to stand with me as I read the gospel reading this morning. Uh, and perhaps a little posture change sometimes changes our focus and our uh, sort of position um, but also it's Palm Sunday, so it kind of puts us into the sort of frame of mind, perhaps, of those who were there that first day. But again, if it's uncomfortable for you or you're unable to, please feel absolutely free uh, to remain in whatever way is comfortable for you. We're reading from John chapter 12 today. The text says this, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they'd heard he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip went to tell Andrew, Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. But Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The word of the Lord. Please take your seats. This like phenomenal reading of Holy Week it uh, begins Holy Week, this notion of the Sunday of the palms, and, and I hope that perhaps just even reading it out loud while we're focusing slightly differently, I, I'm, I'm sure there's at least one of us in the room that hears something in that reading and, and thinks, I don't remember that bit of the reading when I remembered it the last time. And one of the things, the familiarity of telling a story year in, year out, is we start to remember our memory of the story, not necessarily the story itself. So Holy Week begins today on Palm Sunday. 
And this week is quite a week in the life of Jesus, a, a week full of contrasts. Today is praise, and then we have betrayal, and then death, and then resurrection. And we rehearse this story as the church to remind us of the journey that Jesus has taken and where we find ourselves in that journey. And today we focus on this Sunday called Palm Sunday. And to locate ourselves in this Sunday, I want to begin a little bit earlier than perhaps where this story happened. So this story is probably taking place somewhere around about 30 AD in Jerusalem in the first century. But to make sense of this story, we need to rewind a little bit and go to about, like, say, 197, let's just say 200 between friends. We need to go 200 years earlier. Uh, We're still in the same sort of area, but we're 200 years before Jesus, 200 years before uh, this story that we've just read. At this point, something has happened in the history of Israel where the Greek king, His name is Antiochus IV Epiphanes, quite a name. I don't recommend it for your children. He was not a nice dude, just in case you were there and you heard it. And Antiochus, I don't know any Antiochus in my kid's class. Maybe we should use that. Antiochus, his surname, Antiochus IV, son of Antiochus III, who was son of, no, I'm not going there, known as Epiphanes. Epiphanes literally means God manifest. So, So like a dude with an ego problem. God manifest was he was known. Now, the Jewish people at the time, they used to refer to him as Epimenes, right? So not Epiphanes, Epimenes, because Epimenes means the insane. So his nickname, <laughs> told in secret by the Jewish people that he was persecuting, was Antiochus for the madman. He had persecuted the Jews in, in multiple different ways, But most significantly, and and why we need to pay attention to the story today, is at one point he drove his army, around about 167 BC, he drove his army right into the heart of Jerusalem to the temple, and he entered the temple. You probably don't need to know much about the Jewish religion to know that a pagan king entering the temple is problematic. And he didn't just enter the court of the Gentiles or the court of the Jews, but no, he went right into the most holy place, the place reserved for the high priest of Israel once a year. Not only desecrating to the extent that that Antiochus IV enters into the most holy place, he then performs a sacrifice of a pig on the altar. Now again, you probably don't need to know much about the Jewish way of life and the Jewish faith to know that a pig sacrificed by a Gentile king in the most holy place is terrible. In fact, it was known as the abomination of desolations. This is how it was referred to, the worst possible imaginable thing. And Antiochus then fed the high priest the pig that he had sacrificed on the altar. So it seems that Antiochus knew what he was doing. He knew how to offend people. He knew how to make a statement. He knew a symbol that would tell a people that they had been beaten, to desecrate their most holy place in a very specific way. As you might imagine, this did not go down well. And one of the sort of things that happened, then you, as you can probably imagine, during this time, there was a lot of uh, attempted rebellions and attempted fightbacks and defenses against this oppressive force. 
But one man in particular, a man called Judas, not the Judas that you know from the Holy Week story, we're still 200 years before here. This man, Judas, organized a revolt in an unusually well-organized way, actually got things together quite well, and Judas actually led a revolt against Antiochus' armies and drove them out of Jerusalem, drove them out of Israel. Judas was a remarkably violent man and and led a very violent uprising against Antiochus. He was so violent, he was known colloquially as Judas the Hammer. He was known as the Hammerer because he took down his enemies. Now, they didn't use the word hammer because they didn't speak English back then. He was known as Judas the Maccabee. And perhaps you've heard of the Maccabees at some point in your sort of historical explorations, but the Maccabean era began when Judas the Maccabee, Judas the Hammer, drove out the enemies and brought peace to Jerusalem. Now, you can read about it in a book called One Maccabees. At the time of Jesus, One Maccabees would have been considered scripture by most Jewish people to some extent. And in One Maccabees chapter 13 and verse 51, it says this, On the 23rd day of the second month in the 171st year, and by the way, can I just say, I think we should do dates like this going forward. This is way cooler than like the 10th of April, 2023, right? You know, so so just try it, right, when you're writing a check, or who writes a check anymore? Um, On the 23rd day of the second month in the 171st year, the Jews entered it, that's Jerusalem. They entered Jerusalem with praise and palm branches. All of a sudden, you realize why we're talking about this. And with harps and cymbals and stringed instruments and with hymns and songs, because a great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. The people grabbed palm branches and waved them as part of this celebration of our liberation from this awful, this awful king who desecrated us, who brought abomination of desolation upon us. And palm branches were waved as a form of symbol. In fact, actually, from the very brief period that this peace in Jerusalem lasted, because unfortunately, as is the way of the world, opposing forces came back, but the few years that there was a Jewish leader in Jerusalem, they minted coins, and the coins were stamped with the palm branch. So so in in, in the day-to-day exchange of money, the palm branch on a coin, the palm branch waved, spoke of an era when Judas the hammer had driven back our enemies and brought us into a space that we called peace. A waved palm branch speaks of the hope of rescue. A waved palm branch speaks of the hope of liberation from our enemies. And now if we fast forward to around about 30 AD, we're back in the outskirts of Jerusalem and Jesus, this hoped for leader of of Rebellion, perhaps, perhaps a hope for a leader of liberation. Jesus is coming towards Jerusalem, and people pick up palm branches. Israel is now under Roman rule. Same story, different oppressor. The Romans have now taken over Jerusalem. Jerusalem is not free. People are still hoping for rescue and salvation. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and we pick up palm branches, and we say, Hosanna, save us. But something's going on here. A symbol is being played out in this story. By saying, save us, and waving a palm branch, it's hard to imagine that something other than a a recall of the Maccabean story is happening. 
This is the background to this scene. People aren't waving palm branches just because the flags arrived late and they didn't have any. It's not like, you know what, we, we, we forgot all of our coats at home and, uh, or we threw them on the floor. Little hint to another Palm Sunday story. It's not that we just had palm branches and had nothing else and that's what we decided to use. But there's something symbolic going on by lifting up palm branches and saying, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel. Save us from our enemies. We're saying something. We're acting something out. Our hope is that Jesus would be a savior like Judas the Maccabee. Jesus, save us like the hammerer saved us. Bring us the salvation that we want. Perhaps the question for us some 2,000 years later still resonates this Holy Week as we begin this journey of these last few days towards Good Friday and then into Resurrection Sunday, perhaps a question for you to reflect on is what enemies do you need Jesus to save you from this week? And you have an answer to that question because we're all afraid of something and every human has a fear. Now, whether we'll admit it quickly in public or not, that's a different whole subject. But what are you afraid of is an answer that you have quickly. All of us have it. It lives present to us all the time. What is it that you are afraid of? What is it that you need rescuing from? What is it that you feel opposed by? But because of how quickly we can come up with an answer to our own fears, it makes it a very dangerous question to ask. Because sometimes we might answer the question too quickly. Sometimes we might jump to the question because I know the answer to that. I know what I need salvation from. I know what I need rescue from. I know what I need my Hosanna to be focused upon. Are we in the 21st century not that different from the people back in Jerusalem in the first century? Are we not that different because we are quick to see them impose their hopes on Jesus, but less quick to see ourselves do the same? Are we sometimes imposing our hopes on Jesus? Jesus, save us the way that we want to be saved. Save us the way that we need to be saved. Save us from that particular thing over there. That's the thing you need to focus on, Jesus, and that's the problem that I have. So perhaps the question for Palm Sunday is, what are you saying Hosanna to? We, if we all have something we are afraid of, then we likely all also have something that we know we're asking Jesus to rescue us from. So perhaps your reflection this week is, what are you asking the Lord to save you from? But why I want to tell the story like this this morning is to urge us towards some caution. Because the palms and the hosannas speak to a people trying to tell Jesus how to save us. It's not just save us generally, Jesus. It's save us like Judas did. Save us in the way that Judas did. Remarkably, as is common with us as humans, it's about control. Jesus, I'd like you to do things the way I want things to be done. Jesus, head into this Jerusalem and let's start a fight with some Romans. Let's drive out some oppressors. Let's kill some people that don't think like us, that don't behave like us, and that have oppressed us. If we can take them down, then we can live as we want to live. How quick we are as humans to define to our God how we want things to be done. 
Save us, Jesus, but we have a list of how we'd like that done. But there's a second symbol in this story. There's a second symbol that one, we, we draw quickly to Palm Sunday because we see these palm leaves and we visualize that scene quite easily. But there's a second symbol. The first symbol is the palms that everybody chooses, that people pick up and they, they, they impose on Jesus. Be our savior, but be our, this type of savior, Jesus. But then there's another symbol in the story. You know the symbol from the story. You saw the symbol in the story. You're so familiar with the symbol in the story. Perhaps actually it's so familiar you missed it. It's the symbol that Jesus chose. The people chose the palms. Jesus chose a donkey. And he's there, the donkey. I couldn't decide how to refer to the donkey in this sermon, just to be clear. I felt like it seemed a little cold. And then I was like, so I'll refer to the donkey as he, and then it felt sexist. But then once I thought that the donkey might be sexist to call the donkey a he, I then thought, well, if I call it a she, that's definitely sexist. So. I came to the conclusion the donkey probably is a man, let's be honest. So, oh, oh, we're not into a, a, a man joke this morning. Whew. <laughs> Lord, help us. Ladies, please come to my rescue. Um, <laughs> this donkey is there in all the stories. The donkey's there in every story. All four of these tellings of this story, Jesus is on a donkey, and yet we get drawn to the palms, but not to the donkey that Jesus chose, the symbol that Jesus called us to. Because the palms call us back to a story from the text in the Maccabees, Jesus' donkey calls us back to a story in the prophets of Israel from Zechariah. Jesus is leading to a different piece of scripture, a different story, a different hope. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 says, rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You don't need to know much about donkeys to know that they are not the classic choice of the king. You know, it's like, let's go see the arrival of the president. The American president was in Canada just recently. Imagine if the doors to the plane opened and he came out on a scooter. Like, it would just be wrong in all sorts of ways. You'd be like, that doesn't look right somehow for multiple reasons. And uh, I'm not going to get into them for fear of political fallback uh, in the church this morning. But it would be strange to see a president on a scooter, right? A, a, A king on a donkey doesn't make sense. But notice how this king is introduced to you, triumphant and victorious. Okay, yeah, we hear kings talk about themselves like that quite regularly. And humble and riding on a donkey. Okay, now we're in new territory. How often does triumphant and humble go together in our world? How rarely can you think of triumphant and humble happening at the same time? Victorious and on a donkey? Some scholars note that probably around about the time that Jesus is entering into Jerusalem on this donkey, Pilate is also coming to Jerusalem because Pilate would generally move from his home by the sea into the city during the various festivals where trouble was expected. And when Pilate moved, he would come with a mighty show of force. Bring your armies, show what victory looks like. Victory looks like an army that will crush you if you try to question it. But this king is victorious and on a donkey. And then Zechariah pushes further. 
He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This king comes and dismantles the war chariots. He retires the horses that are used for battle and the weapons are decommissioned. Because this king can come in humility because he has brought peace. You see, the, the Judas, the Hammerer, the Maccabee, see, he drove out enemies, but they were back within a few years' time. And Jerusalem just found another way to be crushed and oppressed. Because when we violently push one thing out, we haven't solved the problem that's going on that's deeper in here, that we need a different type of king. We need a king that doesn't look like a king. We need a king that doesn't sound like a king. And this is the symbol that Jesus chooses. Not the palm branch of the hammerer, but Zechariah's donkey king. This king who is putting an end to war and bringing around peace. And so the people pick up these symbols of palm branches because their symbol is showing us this is the Messiah we want. This is the king we want. This is the president we want. We want someone like this. And Jesus on his donkey is showing us a different symbol. He's saying this is the type of Messiah I am. This is the type of king that I am. And what's more important is this is the king you need. We want the hammerer. What we need is the king who will bring peace to the nations. So Palm Sunday is a story of two symbols, the Jesus we want and the Jesus we need, the savior that we want and the savior that we need, the rescue that we want and the rescue that we need. The New Testament scholar Esau Macaulay in an article just this week in the New York Times said this, we pick up our palm branches and raise our shouts in support of the Jesus we've created in our minds, not the crucified Messiah, whose rule is rooted and grounded in love. He has become a rallying cry for our agenda, not his. Have we tried to make Jesus be what we want him to be? It's easy for us to look back at these, at these people waving palm branches and say, oh, they don't get it, but do we get it? Or are we not doing what they were doing? Saying, Jesus, be the Jesus that we want to be. Jesus, deal with the enemies that I have, the people that I don't like, the people that I'm uncomfortable with, the people that make my life difficult. Jesus, you can rescue us from them. Fascinating how we never ask Jesus to rescue us from ourselves, from the way that we are forcing our view onto the world. So this perhaps really is my question for Palm Sunday. Are our hosannas broken? Are we bringing our hosannas to Jesus and saying, Jesus, this is what we'd like you to be and this is how we'd like you to behave? Are we actually just doing what the people did on that Palm Sunday of waving branches to define, Jesus, here's the parameters by which you can do what we want you to do? Or is Palm Sunday an invitation to bring those broken hosannas to Jesus and see him on the donkey? To see that when we bring this broken Hosanna to Jesus, what we're actually laying down in front of him is our desires that things be fixed our particular way. And rather to see that this king on a donkey has a bigger 
idea than we have. This king on a donkey is not simply here to rescue us from our particular enemies, but to rescue us from that which creates enemies, from that which causes us to feel the need to destroy one another. You see, I think the palms of Palm Sunday remind us of something we really easily forget. Is it just two chapters before this story, Jesus had said to his disciples, I have come, in John chapter 10 and verse 10, he says, I have come to bring you life and life in abundance. Or perhaps you've heard it quoted as life and life to the full. So Jesus says, I have come to bring life and life in abundance. And two chapters later, we're saying, well, we're going to trade that abundant life, Jesus, for just getting rid of the people we don't like. If you could do that, Jesus, that'd be enough for us. And I wonder how often we trade the abundance that Jesus offers us for the desire for shallow victory. If we just get rid of the things that make me under uncomfortable, Jesus, I'd be okay with that. Just deal with those people, whatever their issue is, whether it's, you know, they come from a difficult, different political spectrum than me, their view of the economics is different from me, their religious position is different from me, their race is different from me. There's all sorts of things that we roll out that we're like, oh, I don't like the way those people do things. And I, I, I see it so often in my own life that for a little bit of comfort, I would trade abundant life for shallow victory. And let me suggest this, and I think this is the backdrop to what's going on throughout Holy Week, is that evil always wants us to settle for security and safety when Jesus is offering us abundant life. Evil will offer you to trade that abundance that Jesus offers you for, for just a little bit of security and safety from death. Jesus, rescue us from these Romans that are on our doorstep just now. Just as Judas rescued us from this Greek king that was oppressing us just then. What's fascinating about Jesus is that he doesn't offer us a rescue from death. Evil offers us short-term security and short-term safety from death. Jesus, as we learn very, very boldly throughout Holy Week, doesn't offer us rescue from death. He offers us a way through death. He offers us something beyond death. He offers us resurrection. He offers us abundant life. And so often we trade that. We just give it all away for a little bit of security in our day-to-day moments. So perhaps the question for Palm Sunday is which Hosanna do you want? I'm not drawing the kind of simple line that pastors sometimes draw at this point of saying, well, the problem is all these people were concerned about physical things and Jesus came to think about spiritual things because actually that's to sell Jesus short as well. Jesus is abundantly interested in your physical life. Jesus is abundantly interested in what goes on in this world. Zechariah tells us he came to bring peace. He came to put things back together again. The line that I want to draw this morning is to think about the Hosanna that we bring to Jesus and ensure that what we're not doing is making our main thing the main thing. And then we make our main thing the main thing and build our life and faith around it. We find ourselves so often thinking that we know how we can put together things for God. God, I know exactly how to help you put the world right. Because in the same way as we quickly know what we are afraid of, we also quickly know the solutions, don't we? Like I'm sure you've heard at least somebody say at some point, if I was God, no, 
Notice how I took the pressure off her by saying, I'm sure you've heard somebody else say this. <laughs> if I was God, I would know how to solve it. And I tell you what, I have a list and I know who's on the names, right? I know who I'm going to first. I know who I, what I deal with first. I know what's going on. And so often we hear this in the life of those of us who call ourselves Jesus followers. We start to imagine the enemies and we imagine they are the problem and we imagine if we could get rid of them, everything would be okay. But there's political enemies. You know, life would be great if it wasn't for the liberals. Too close to home? But what's amazing is there's another group of Christians other else in the world going, life would be great if it wasn't for the conservatives. Shocking to believe, but surely the world can't be just so simple that if this one group of people in the political spectrum were gone, everything would be okay on this sort of spectrum. How do we know that? Because we've been doing this a long time and we keep ending up in problems. We keep ending up stuck. We keep ending up hurting each other. And whether it's politics, which is an easy low bar to pick on, or economics, or social issues, there are huge problems in our world, and we keep assuming that the way to solve it is to deal with the other people. If we could just deal with them, everything would be okay. And that actually, if we're not careful, give it long enough, that starts to sound and feel Christian. So let me hold in that slightly uncomfortable space. People tell me it's always unwise to do this, but let me just hold that. But when you start to hear conservatives talk about liberals and struggle to imagine that liberals could be Jesus followers, we've fallen into a difficult trap. And when liberals start to talk about conservatives in the same way, we've fallen into difficult traps. If your political spectrum is also defining the way that you look at people and the way that you think Jesus sees those people, and if you find yourself looking at somebody else's position and thinking there is no way that person can be a follower of Jesus because of their economic or their social status or their political allegiances, something's gotten into our lives and we have to be careful because in those situations, our Hosanna starts to become save us from them. God, if you can do something about them, I think I would be okay. But Jesus is this king on a donkey. Right? Like, that's not a liberal king or a conservative king, right? No king chooses the donkey, right? No king does that. And Jesus, I think, is calling us to a third way. And he's calling us, and I think, it's, I think he's calling us this Palm Sunday in this hugely divided world to say the followers of Jesus have got it. We've got to get over ourselves a little bit. We've got to step away from our desire to group everybody in and then pray against them accordingly. I think Jesus is asking us to relate differently to how we even see our enemies. I wonder if you noticed the end of the gospel reading today. It's a very dense passage from Jesus, which maybe as I was reading it, you were thinking, what has this got to do with Palm Sunday? And I hope now you might see it has everything to do with Palm Sunday. Because Jesus invites us here to relate differently to the world. He speaks of nature to begin with. A really important piece for us to remember as Resurrection Sunday is coming. He says, actually, think about how the world works. The world works by things die, and then they bring life. So one seed dies, multiple seeds grow as a result of it. What's Jesus saying here? Well, notice then what he does. Anyone who, loses their, who, who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And whoever serves me must follow me. Notice what Jesus is doing here. Think about it like this. You're all raising palm branches, he's saying. 
You're raising palm branches and asking me to be the Maccabean warrior, to be the hammerer who crushes your enemies. Think about what you're saying, Jesus is saying. You're asking, help us live, so kill them. Jesus says, have you not noticed how the world works, the way God made the world? The world works that things die, and that's how they bring life. And we know our world is broken when we can't imagine how that would work. How could something dying bring more life? Jesus is like, just think about seeds. It happens all the time. It's happening around you all the time. But our brokenness is such, we assume that the only way to live is to inflict death upon others so that we will be okay. And if whenever we find ourselves living in a world where it's like, do you know what? I'm happy with that people's oppression because it allows me to live comfortably. I'm happy with that people's poverty because it allows me to live comfortably. I'm happy with that people's exclusion because it makes me feel comfortable. We are living the way of the palms that Jesus calls us. And Jesus calls us to this space and says, actually, what does it look like to die for your enemies? Now, did you notice the bit in the gospel reading at the right start where it was like the disciples had no idea what Jesus was talking about, but it all made sense later? Well, what's coming later? Well, Good Friday's coming. And in a few days' time, the disciples are gonna watch Jesus crucified, and this then starts to make sense to them. And Lord, may it make sense to us today as well. That we think differently about our enemies. That we think that this story is happening in preparation for the cross. This story is an invitation to sacrifice. Can I imagine a world where my Hosanna calls me to think about what do I do in order to rescue and save my enemies? Remember, Jesus is gonna end up on a cross and he's gonna say, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. What a phenomenal text, by the way. It's like, there is Jesus' commentary on all of us. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And that is really offensive to us. Because we're like, I know what I'm doing. I know exactly what I'm doing. And Jesus is saying, no, until you see the king on a donkey and see that that's the way God made the world, you're always gonna keep making the wrong choices. You're always gonna pick up palms instead of following the king on the donkey who sacrificed for others. Notice how Jesus ended the gospel reading. Now is the time for judgment on the world. Whoa, that sounds a little bit heavy. I'm not sure how comfortable I am with that, except that everything we've just talked about is the judgment that Jesus is bringing. What's Jesus' call on the world? We're doing it badly. You're insisting, you want a hammerer, but it's not gonna work for you. You can destroy this particular enemy, this particular week in Jerusalem. Guess what? Someone else will come back. Someone else will come back and oppress. Somebody else will come back and crush. You'll keep recycling the brokenness. That's Jesus' judgment on the world. But he offers in place of this, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Like we need salvation from the way that we are, from the wish that we would be victorious in a way that destroys the things that I hate and the people that I hate. But the evil that Jesus has come to rescue us from is from actually thinking that way. It's from actually assuming that our way is the way to solve everything. When we see this king of peace coming on a donkey, we realize that Jesus is going to rescue us from evil. But he's gonna rescue us from the evils that are oppressing us. He's gonna help us realize that some of the evils were not evils and really shockingly, 
He's gonna rescue some people from the evil that we are. And we don't often think about that and it makes us really uncomfortable, but who are the people out there that need rescued from me? And Jesus instead offers us this, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. That sounds good, lifted up, being lifted up. We imagine, you know, the victorious, you know, game-winning player from the team hoisted up on our shoulders. We imagine the victorious leader positioned on the top seat in the chariot, and then we keep reading John's gospel and realize that lifted up means crucified. Lifted up means hung on a cross. And then we realize that Jesus is really showing us something different. The salvation that we need comes through his sacrifice, not through our victory. So here's my invitation to you this week. May you ask God for the salvation that you need. May you lay down your broken hosannas at the foot of the cross and meet the Jesus that we need, not the Jesus that we want. Not from our fears about our own way of life or our own way of being, not rescue from conservatives or liberals or economics or freedom or whatever other issue that's driving the news pages right now. Let us be rescued from what it is that Jesus needs to rescue us from. Let us hear in that Hosanna that Jesus wants us to call an invitation not only to be drawn to Jesus, but to become his people for the world. The world does not need a church which just adds to the brokenness. The world does not need a church that just adds to the division. So may we lay our broken Hosannas down at the foot of the cross. May we gather on Friday around the communion table and confess the Jesus who is the Jesus that we need. Let me say this to end. Palm Sunday offers you something that we must take seriously. It offers you this symbol, the realization that praising Jesus and following Jesus can be different things. That you can say Hosanna, but not want to follow him. That you can praise him on the roadside, but wish him to be exactly the opposite of who he is. So instead, let us be invited by the text this Sunday to wave palm branches that show not only that we know that Jesus can save us, but that we trust him enough to save us the way he wants to save us from the things we need saving from. May God redeem us from our broken hallelujahs and our broken hosannas and our broken ideas of a savior for this land. Why don't you stand with me? I realize that there's a sense where this is possibly more than we see in Palm Sunday, perhaps more than we want from Palm Sunday. We're like, I liked it more when it was just the kids waving palm branches. <laughs> but I think what we actually find at this beginning of Easter week is a call to be the people that Jesus calls us to be. So as you reflect on this and go and think about the Savior that you need this week, I invite you just to confess this creed with me. Why do we keep doing this confession of the creed? Because when Jesus calls us to the hard, heavy message of Easter, he also calls us just to step in and trust him. And I invite you just to reconfess this creed this morning as a statement of, yes, this is the creed about the Savior that I need. So if you are comfortable and wish to, why don't you say this with me? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. 
He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen and amen. So may your Hosanna this week be for the King of Kings on a donkey, the Jesus of mercy, the Jesus of salvation.